Welcome to the Faith Element Podcast for the September 3rd, 2023 session, focusing on Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 through 28, The Great Reverse. I'm David Cassidy. I'm Nikki Hardiman. I'm David Adams. And I'm Crystal Shepard. A lot of things work the way I think they should. If I pick up this pen and let go of it, it drops to the ground. That makes sense to me. Some things don't make sense to me, like why when you get a new box of Lucky Charms, if you don't shake it up really good, you're going to have all of the marshmallows on top. And that's frustrating, right? Because you want them mixed in. Why why are they up there? Do they wait and dump them in at the factory at the last minute? So it looks like they have more than they do. (sighs) Oh. Yeah, but if you just pour it out, you eat all marshmallows. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. So I'm curious, what's something that you've discovered that doesn't work the way you think it should? Like when you hydroplane and you're spinning, mm-hmm. they say you're to turn into the turn, the spin, uh-huh. but that doesn't make any sense to me because you'd think you'd want to turn out of the spin. Everybody says you're supposed to turn into the spin. Thank goodness I have not had to find out if that works or not, but I think about it a lot. Could I do it? Would I do the right thing? Will my instincts do what they've told me to do? Or will they do what my brain thinks it's supposed to do? Mm -hmm. Let's hope you don't face that. Let's hope I just don't have to find out. I don't need to know that while I live in this world. Is it the same on ice as it is when you're hydroplaning? It's the opposite. Really? Oh. I don't know. Don't take my advice. I don't. (laughs) I've slid on ice several times, and every time I panic. So it probably doesn't matter what you do. Don't ask me. It doesn't matter matter what I do. Just don't ask. Don't. I don't drive everything. Yeah, I'm like, oh my god. Yeah. Don't ask me. For me, I think it. So it's it's the bee, the bee. I love bees. They do not make sense how they fly. Like that, it's been, yeah. Oh, yeah. They've got these huge bodies and these tiny little wings. Like they do not fit the laws of like aerodynamics or whatever. It's, uh, I've read a lot of articles on it, obviously. I love bees. So, he's got too much back to fly. They do. And so <laughs> it's, it doesn't make sense that they're able to fly right. the way they do. Yeah. And we depend on them to pollinate. And have fruit and trees and all this stuff. So it's just crazy that they can do what they do. By the way, Crystal, it's good to have you back. Oh, thank you. It's good to be back. (laughs) Round things. What? But round things, round things, not round things, but yeah, round things. For some reason, when you're going to turn something off and on using a round thing, there is no universal direction. So the direction you think you need to turn it is almost never right for me. Uh, I'm, trying to, oh. I'm trying to turn on a garden hose. I'm always going the wrong direction. I've got a fan. I try to turn off every morning and without fail. I turn it the wrong direction every morning. When I try to turn it off, I turn that dial the wrong way because they just round things. Like no matter what way you turn it, you just can't figure it out. I think there's truth in that. I do mm-hmm. too. I have the same yeah. difficulty. Yeah. I just, they say righty, tidy, lefty, loosey, but that doesn't always work. No, no. And if you're turning something off and on, it's even worse. But what if you're doing something with a wrench and if you go the wrong way, you're going to over tighten it? That's yeah. right. Make yeah. it worse. Yep. Maybe in some future world, everything will work the way we think it should. But in this one, it, it doesn't. So there's a lot to puzzle over. 
And while our listeners are puzzling over these things. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they're still thinking about them. Yes, that's right. They've mm. probably got several of their own <laughs> No, they're arguing about what you're supposed to do when you hydroplane right now. <laughs> <laughs> or how obvious it is which way to turn something. Right, like, yeah. that's right. <laughs> Everyone on this podcast We're is an imbecile. <laughs> mail so that, like, we none of us crash. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, my. Crystal, I'm not sure, but does this text work the way we think it should? No. Oh, my goodness. That's what I was afraid of. Yes. I'll try to help us out. Okay. Thank you so much. Today's scripture is one I heard frequently as a child growing up in a conservative Southern Baptist church. The high drama of Jesus telling the disciples he must die, Peter challenging Jesus, and Jesus calling him Satan. It was exciting and set the stage for the latter half of this passage, where Jesus tells the disciples to be his followers they must take up their cross and follow him, all while denying themselves. Much attention was given to this part of the scripture. We had just heard Jesus call his faithful follower Satan, and now he is outlining how to not be an instrument of evil, but rather faithful to him. I remember sitting in the pews listening to sermons on this, squirming in the uncomfortable metal folding chairs as a teen while Sunday school hour was dedicated to this. I desperately didn't want to be Satan. I wanted to be good and faithful. I must admit, though, I was scared about what it meant to take up one's cross and follow Jesus. What we were all told was some version or another of watered-down self-flagellation akin to that experienced by Silas, the assassin monk of Dan Brown's The Da Vinci Code. We were to self-deny by not fitting into the world, by not listening to popular music, I'm wondering if there's any of our listeners that were ever part of CD breaking parties. That might just be a 90s thing. So we had to break our CDs because the music was wrong. I still lament over letting go of my Alanis Morissette and Tom Petty. I didn't give up my Pearl Jam, though. I guess we all have things we're willing to burn for. Self-denial also looked like covering up your body if you were female so as not to tempt the boys. We were to eradicate any lustful thought about the opposite sex, to aspire to a holy vocation, eradicate all sin, and above all, be willing to die for Jesus. It was terrifying to me. Part of my journey in life has been unlearning the harmful and traumatic theology I was taught and looking at my faith in Scripture with a different perspective. So if I'm to unpack the Scripture and what it is really about, I think— is the identity of Jesus, and in turn about our identity as well. Jesus is telling us something about himself here. He is revealing to his disciples that he is the Messiah, but not the one they had anticipated, at least not in the way they thought the Messianic reign would play out. That's why Peter gets so upset, and that's why Jesus tells him to settle down and stop being a stumbling block for him. The disciples had a notion, as did many Jews, that the Messiah would be a political and spiritual leader, who would liberate them from their oppressor, Rome, and restore their kingdom. What Jesus was stating seemed to be the complete opposite. By the time we get to Jesus saying, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. By the time we get there, we are learning something about our identity. To be his followers, we are to be self-denying, 
but I challenge us to think of it as self-giving. Jesus was modeling the ultimate giving of self in what he was about to do. And regardless of what many think, he had a choice. He denied himself and was self-giving being moved by love. Denying self is not to be confused with denying something to yourself, whether it's material things, pleasure, or whatever, which is what I was taught as a child. Denial is saying no to oneself and yes to God. I think the Brobman commentary captures it beautifully in saying, quote, all man's sin and self-destruction centers in self-love, self-interest, self-trust, self-assertion. The cross means the opposite. It means trusting God, the love of God, commitment to God, and no to self. Paradoxically, this no to self is yes to the true self. One for the first time becomes what they were made to be when they deny themselves. Sometimes this means not fitting in the world, but not in giving up music or curse words or pleasures. It means that we do not partake in the powers and structures of oppression. This is what Jesus was up against, and this is what got him killed. The powers of oppression were not just the state, but religious as well. Mitzi J. Smith says that, quote, religion has never been free of political intrigue and violence. Even religious men and women, mesmerized by power and privilege, will annihilate persons who in any way threaten to diminish their position and advantage. And this is perhaps what happened to Jesus in his ministry and particularly in the end of his life. So as controversial as it may be, our self-giving may put us at odds with the powers and even with our, in our own religious institutions. Jesus upset the status quo. And when we tackle systemic issues and injustices, we too upset it. This can be as simple and as radical as rethinking our theology, questioning and learning and leaning into the mystery. It can mean self-giving by fully embracing our humanity and the humanity of others, all while seeing the divine reflected there. It can mean giving value to the life of every person, regardless of race, sexual orientation, gender identity, or any classification we can invent. Smith says, perhaps Jesus is also saying that if one thinks she has it all figured out like Peter, she does not. That when we think our theology and faith is tight, right, and infallible, it just might be oppressive and death-dealing. And she goes on to say, I don't think Jesus calls us to deny our humanity, but to commit to following him while fully accepting how vulnerable our humanity will be if we choose to be revolutionaries. Jesus was willing to be God's revolutionary Messiah, knowing the violence that could be done to his body as a consequence of pursuing justice, love, and peace instead of the privileges of the empire, end quote. What I find in this re-examination of Matthew 16 is nuanced, but no less scary than what I heard as a child. It asks of me to be self-giving, which if we are honest, doesn't really come so naturally to us humans. Yet what I find in this passage, if I allow it, is myself. I find that in losing my life, Whatever that may mean to me personally, I gain it. At least I'm in good company and get to listen to some kick butt music along the way. Those are some great thoughts, Crystal. And interesting, as I'm listening to that, what really made my ears perk up, and maybe it's because I'm off someplace in the weeds, is 
those thoughts about Jesus and his relationship with empire and empire type thinking, because one of the things I've been talking about a lot with my church lately has been this idea that Christianity used to be something different. It used to be something that meant something about us individually and not about the state. And we've allowed it to become about the state again, Mm -hmm. to where it's about covering ourselves with the state, about protecting ourselves from the state, maybe, but not taking the risk, because if we're just in control of things, we won't have any risk. It's, it belongs to us. Mm-hmm. And when you start thinking that my faith has to control the state, you throw all this material that you've been talking about out the window, because mm-hmm. you, you're not giving anything up. That's the whole point. You allowed Christianity to go off the rails when you decided you needed to protect yourself. And then I, the thing that it causes me to think is that really, this is going to probably push some buttons, but how can we really call us ourselves Christians if we, if we are not being Christ followers, if we are not following? Jesus was in opposition to, and if we are taking that cover of Rome, so to speak, then do we have that... I don't want to say, but do we have that privilege of calling ourselves Christians if that's the case? And I'm sure that can sound harsh, but I have questioned that. Like, I, there have been times recently I've like, how, what do I call myself? What do I call myself now? Because that Christianity does look so different now. I often wonder if we can get back to calling ourselves followers of the way of Jesus hmm. as opposed to Christians. As I've been listening, I keep having images appear. And of course, one that's so obvious is of parenthood. I've tried to think of places in our lives where we more naturally find ourselves lent to self-giving and self-sacrifice and denying ourselves for the good of another. And I, okay, I'm going to be a grandfather, it looks like. And I'm going Woo, to be congrats. full of stories. <laughs> Yay. And it's, it's, it's been interesting watching our daughter and son-in-law reshape their lives in the wake of learning that there is going to be a new human in their household. And watching them make choices that are expensive. And I don't mean that just financially. I mean, in all the ways we make changes in our lives for this new life. And it's a, it's been really interesting watching that because I know we we must have looked the same way to our parents when it was going on. The other image that comes to my mind thinking about this dynamic and where we naturally experience it maybe because I'm bringing these up because I think we don't naturally lend ourselves or find ourselves bent towards a self-denial. We're really much more prone toward I need that. That makes me happy. (laughs) That brings me joy. The other place I think is in sharing a meal. And I think of that in the sense that I know when we have guests over, there is a lot of work that goes into getting ready for that guest to be here. There's the cleaning of the house. I call it getting ready for the queen. Everything has to be just right. And we go out and we we plan a meal. We go out and buy the ingredients and we get good stuff. And then we put all this energy into baking and cooking and getting things ready. And then that is given both all that work and the food because of this experience of being together with this with our guests, it there it's worth it, right? It's mm-hmm. 
I don't know. To me, that it is an example, perhaps a minor one, of where it is more natural. We have a natural understanding of how we gain ourselves by giving ourselves away. This is such a wonderful and interesting conversation. And I've had so many things flying through my brain as I've been sitting here listening to you all talk. So I guess I'll start here. I think I think it's important to talk about what we mean by self-denial and authentic true self, mm-hmm. because in the church, and I think particularly in the South, though I'm not sure that's fair or accurate, women who serve in the church deny themselves all the time. They sacrifice health. They sacrifice time. They sacrifice careers, all for the sake of other people. And so I think it's very, because that's what we have been trained to do. That is what we have been taught to do. And that is what has been modeled for us by our mothers and our aunts and our grandmothers And self-denial, let's be clear about what we mean by the self. Mm. And in a lot of ways, when women find themselves in cycles of constantly giving themselves until they are exhausted to the bone, what's really happening is they're not connecting to their true self. And so what the ways that they are giving themselves to others, to the church, to children, to a partner is not sustainable and is not within the realm of what of what we're talking about here. And so I just think that's really important to pull out that yes, as humans we are naturally inclined to take care of ourselves first, right? Get myself protected and then the next person. That's just it's just nature and that's not a bad thing. And it's not the only part of that conversation. There's something about it that may not even be part of being in church. It, it, it's be very generational. Yes. Our grandparents' generation, people were much more willing to give themselves to higher causes and to the group and to the need of society than they are now. Now mm-hmm. it's all about me first. And then if I got any left over, then I might share it with somebody else. But if you have that attitude, your faith shifts too. Yeah. But I think on the opposite side, there have been places that I have seen that giving of self. For instance, when we're recording this, so it's right around the time of the fire in Maui, and governmental aid is not coming very quickly. (laughs) And there are neighbors helping neighbors. There are surfers who are getting on jet skis and taking supplies from boats from people that live on other islands that are like bringing the boats close to Maui, close enough for the jet skis to get to them to take these supplies. And there are people running into the water and getting these supplies and taking it to the people who need them. And so I think there's also this other side of it too, because I don't want to, I don't want people to think it's all doom and gloom. I think there are they talk about instead of like looking for glimmers in your everyday life. And I think when I've, my husband said I spent a little too much time on the Maui fires because I've been like wanting to understand the human condition and what's going on there. But like when I've read about it and what I've read and what I've heard, it's these people doing extraordinary things for their fellow human being, 
not expecting, giving of themselves and not expecting anything in return, if that makes sense. So while I see the one side we're talking about, I do think that we as human beings, and maybe that is the reflection of the divine in us, are capable of extraordinary generosity and kindness to our fellow human beings, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's, it's like we're at our best when we're giving things for others. Yes, but not to the exclusion of our own. What Nikki was said, I don't want to pass that over because I think that's an important point too, that it's not, it's part of ourself. Like we need to look for ourselves too and not exclude the giving to ourself as well. It, I think that's what I heard. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. I think I'm externally like processing guys. I'm sorry. No, yeah. There's a lot. <laughs> this is an interesting conversation. I think because I think we're all doing a little processing. We're trying to, and it's, geez, y'all, you study the Bible and you can study it forever and still have questions and uncertainties. I want to go back to the generational comment about like the way that it looks in different generations. And I wonder if actually just like the way that we give to something bigger than us changes. And I'm thinking about that, particularly like with my, my daughter and son's generation, and technically they're in two different generations, but the way that they give to their peers did not happen when I was that age. There is a feral kind of empathy among kids today that I think it doesn't look like it did when I was growing up. Because when I was growing up and maybe when y'all were growing up, the way that we gave to things that were bigger than us is that we gave to institutions. Like Mm -hmm. we gave ourselves in service of the church because we believed in what the church was doing and we wanted to be a part of that bigger work. But as all of that landscape is shifting right now, it is not as simple to participate in giving to an institution like that. Mm-hmm. And we definitely have some generational biases against giving to institutions like that. So you're working with all of those things. But I do think that they give to one another. They give individually to people, but they do it collectively. Like they take care of each other, I think. So I wonder if it's just the way that the institution has broken down is why we see it as different. No, but I really see what Nikki's talking about because as you're saying that, I'm thinking about all the times growing up when your experience of helping others in church was the missionary who comes to your church and convinces uh-huh. you to give money to mm-hmm. a board someplace, mm-hmm. as opposed to people who actually have needs. To where now, if you're really going to be I guess, really active in your faith in that way, it seems like you have to become an entrepreneur, you know, to find what's available mm. and push yourself out to it rather than wait for it to come to you because the institutions aren't carrying it anymore. Mm. And you have to be mm-hmm. really proactive and make it happen. Do you think Jesus was as tentative about teaching it as we are about preaching it and teaching it? This passage? Or these kinds of things? Because there are a few things like that in scripture. This I don't want to touch that because I don't know how to do that. Mm-hmm. And he's asking people who were oppressed to deny themselves. Like, I just tell, like. You're going to tell the guys at Simmons to deny themselves? No. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, how did you, like, Jesus wasn't, it doesn't feel like Jesus was tiptoeing. No, it doesn't. 
And so it's like, how? I guess because there was such an intimate relationship with the disciples. Maybe. Then maybe Jesus felt like, hey, like I've got to lay it out because I'm about to die. So they need to understand this is how you live. Don't screw it up, guys. Don't screw it up. No, but I do think, Nikki, to your point that the oppressed, those who feel oppression and experience it, often have, a, I think, a better understanding of this, of who they are and how important it is to care for one another in community mm. than those of us who have the capability to be self-sufficient or at least to appear that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Part of the reason it's hard for me to look at this passage and deal with it is because it's hard for me (laughs) to be dependent upon others. And I don't know if that's part of what we're being asked to do here. To give up self is to give up self-reliance to some degree. Not Mm -hmm. that we, you know what I'm saying? All our American jives kick in. (laughs) Don't be self-reliant. But to recognize that we go through this life together and we need each other. No, I think all of that is relevant to the passage. I think that what I need to deny myself is different than from what you need to deny yourself and what you need to deny yourself. It's such, it is native to who we are, to our particular strengths and weaknesses, our particular joys and fears. And so the way that happens for me is going to be different than the way it happens for you. Some passages really leave us stumped, and I think this is one of them. We we have struggled, dear listeners, with this more than you hear because I've cut some sections out where we literally were speechless or puzzled about how to wrap our heads around what Jesus is calling us to do. And maybe that's part of the point is that we need to work at wrapping our heads around this. And someone that comes to mind that I've mentioned in the past, but he's such a notable figure, Um, but he talks about how expensive this work of following Jesus, expensive this discipleship is that we work towards. And that's Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who actually wrote a book, The Cost of Discipleship, and in it he talks about costly grace and that This work that Christ calls us into is an expensive work. He says it this way. He says, such grace is costly because it calls us to follow. And it's grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it costs a person his life. And it is grace because it gives us the only true life. Deep thoughts, both from Jesus and Bonhoeffer, (laughs) and maybe you'll glean a few from our conversation here today. I hope in your groups, you will also struggle with what it means for us to follow Christ and to be self-giving in all the ways that are similar to how Christ gave of himself for our good. Thank you all for this good conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Learn more about our Faith Element Bible study curriculum at faithelement.net. Faith Element is a service of Faith Lab.